Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. The message for this week is from our current verse-by-verse study from the book of James. In each message, we will see some practical truths for living God's way in situations and circumstances that are often out of our control. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. Great. Well, we're in James. We're continuing our series, of course, and uh, we've been moving verse by verse through the book. And today, uh, we're going to begin in verse number one of James chapter four. Now, as we get into the passage, I want to sort of set the tone for the, for the situation and the passage that's going on here. And, and really what it comes down to at, at the very beginning, what we're going to cover today, is it talks about the idea of expectation versus reality. Expectation versus reality. Now, we love to look at our lives with high expectations, don't we? But then often, as we find, reality sets in, and it's a little bit different than we expected. Anyone experience that in your life? I got both my hands up, right? We, we go through that, and we struggle, and, and uh, it happens not only of of course, uh, in our dreams as, as a child to where we are right now, uh, but it happens in our income levels as well. You know, we thought, well, by the time I'm this age, I'd be making this much money and I'd have this much saved and I'd have this much in retirement. And, and we have these ideas, but the reality is not meeting up with the expectation. It comes uh, as well into our marriages. And we'll just move right past that one real quickly. Uh, but we have marriage expectations and there's then the reality of that. And so uh, those are some things that we deal with and some tensions, of course. It also applies to our spiritual life, though, doesn't it? It applies in areas where we thought, by the time I'm 36, I'm going to be at this certain level of, of spiritual life, or by the time I hit 50, or by the time I got to, you know, out of high school, that sud- suddenly I'd be in this spiritual uh, uh, euphoria, you know, and nothing would ever bother me, and I'd have no fears, and everything would be fine, but then there's the reality of life. So it, it connects in all sorts of different ways, but it also connects not only in those major aspects of our life, but all the way down to the small areas of our life. Think about the projects at your home that you've attempted. I had this expectation. I was going to turn this room into just like the haven of rest, right? And it's going to be this wonderful bedroom, but then now the reality of uh, my pants hanging over the edge of the bed kind of spoils that whole look. I'm just saying that because Jeanette never leaves clothes out in our room at all, ever. I'm the only, I am really, I'm the only one actually, yeah. I'm not trying to cast doubt on her. But you know what I mean? There's that, there's that expectation. How many of you ever uh, tried to do a project at home and it just totally flopped? Man, so I came across this great website. Well, let me just, don't do it now, but if you go later on and just Google uh, expectation versus reality, be careful what you Google, right? Uh, But just Google something called Pinterest fails. Have you guys ever done that? Man, there's some great illustrations of expectation versus reality. I wanted to share some of them with you this morning. Uh, So this was the idea was on the left. And this was the reality. Now, notice it's right by a microwave. So I don't know about that. Maybe that's not real. Here's another cake that someone tried to do. It's supposed to look like uh, Buzz Lightyear. And I'm not sure what's going on in that one. Uh, Here's another one. It's supposed to look like Justin Bieber. uh, But it looks like some sort of burn victim, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Now, now my wife just got a haircut this week. and I like it. I really like it. <laughs> but sometimes when you get a haircut, there's expectation, and then there's reality. I, I found this one. This is sometimes, ladies, when you get your haircut, this is what you hope it looks like, and this is what it actually looks like. <laughs> uh, let's see. I got a couple more. Uh, this one is great. This is uh, rubber ducky cupcakes. 
and what actually happened. Uh, people were right, nailed it, I did it. And, uh, oh, here's one more. This one was one of my favorites, a Sour Patch Cake, and this is what it ended up. So that's what it's supposed to be, <laughs> and that's what it ended up ended up being. And that, that really illustrates life in a few photos right there, expectation versus reality. We have this idea of what things should be, uh, but then they turn out to be a bit of a disaster. Now, our expectations don't always meet reality in life, but it also translates to the church as well. How many of you have had expectations of your local church, of City Baptist here, and, and maybe those expectations weren't met? Don't raise your hand, but it, I know it exists. I know it exists. And we have certain aspects, and we think things should go a certain way or be a certain way, um, but maybe they don't quite turn out uh, as we thought it would be. And it also continues to the Bible, which is so interesting. See, what's so great about the Bible is that God gives to us his expectations for the local church. And he says so clearly, this is what the expectation should be. This is how the church should operate. This is what the church's focus should be. This is, or what, this is what the goals of the church should be. Uh, for example, we're supposed to believe uh, uh, completely and expect to love God above all else, right? That's in Scripture. We're to love Him above all else. We are expected to have a passion for the worship of God and the service of God, both of those included. It's not enough just to have a desire to worship God. We've got to serve God as well. Uh, there's an expectation, of course, in Scripture that we, are to, that we are to do all that we can to advance the cause of Christ. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? We're expected to believe that we are to do all that we can to influence our children to love and to serve God. That's an expectation for us in the Bible. It's also an expectation in the Bible that we as believers would do all that we can to influence our friends and, a neighbors, and our neighbors for Jesus Christ. That's an expectation of the Bible. But in reality, how often is that truly reflected in the lives of God's people? Often the reality of God's expectations are not realized in our lives. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that the reality of the Christian life of the local church is so different than God's expectation of it? Now, you understand, I just pulled a few things out of there. You may check all of those boxes. There's a lot of expectations that God places on the church. Not to, not to make us get all nervous and fear it, but so we know how we ought to live in this world. But why is it? Why is our reality so different than God's expectation? Well, that's a great question. And it's a 2,000-year-old question. And it's a question that James here is going to address as we get into James chapter number four. I read this week that somebody called the book of James the in-your-face epistle. <laughs> They're like, that's what it should say on, the, you know, on your Bible, James, the in-your-face epistle, because he just brings it right to us. And that's what he does here in chapter four. He brings it to the Christians there. He brings it to the church that's scattered abroad, and he's going to answer the question as to why our realities of the Christian life are so different, are so separate from the expectation of God. We begin in verse number one, and he asks this question. He says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Great question. Where are all of these wars where are the battles and where is the fighting coming from, you Christians that are out there, you church? What's going on? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? It says, don't they come from your lust? Verse 2 says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye, what? Ask not. Now, James here answers his own question. 
He says, where's all this war? Where are all these fightings coming from? And he answers it with some very strong, very descriptive words of, uh, about the current state of the early church. And tragically, what he's doing here is describing to us a church that does not follow Psalm 133 that tells us that we should dwell together in unity. And it's a wonderful thing for us to walk along together. But instead, he describes a church that is dwelling in conflict, a church that is in discord rather than being unified around their faith and around their calling. You know, it's interesting as you learn about the early church and as you read about, by the way, our example as the church, right? It's amazing to me how many conflicts there were in the early church. In, uh, in, in the book of Corinthians, it talks about how the members of the Corinthian church were competing against each other publicly for all to see. I mean, it was like UFC every Sunday, right? And all right, deacon is against, uh, you know, up and coming deacon. No, uh, winner stays deacon, no. <laughs> but they were, they, there was some like open conflict. In fact, it got to the place that members of the church were suing one another within the church. Now that's a bit of a conflict, don't you think? In, uh, in the book of Galatians, it tells us that the believers there were biting and devouring one another. Not literally, okay? It's a very vivid picture, right? Uh, to the Ephesian church, Paul had to in admonish them to cultivate spiritual unity. Even the church in Philippi had problems. There were two women who could not get along. Imagine that in a church. Two women could not get along in the church of Philippi. James, of course, mentions many different kinds of disagreements that were going on between, uh, uh, among the believers. But why is this? Why would God choose to, and why would James choose to include all of this conflict? And I believe one of the main reasons is, is to remind us that we are fallen people. <laughs> to remind us that we're all sinners. That the people of the Bible that we read about were sinners just like you and I. They're not to be elevated to a position above us. Yes, God used them in that specific time for a specific reason. Just as God will use you for a specific reason in a specific time. But they were human just like us, and they were fallen, and they, uh, they struggled with sin. And uh, we've got to be reminded, church, that even though we are saved by the power of God, we must be kept by the power of God. We must walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 tells us that. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because in our innate sin nature, we easily find ourselves giving into the lust of of our flesh. Now, when you hear the word lust, and you saw that there in the first couple of verses, immediately we think of something sensual or sexual in that connotation. What he's talking about here, and what it does apply to in many cases of scripture, is, uh, scripture is simply our desires, the desires of our flesh, the desire of a human. They're not all uh, in that sensual way, but just any sort of desire that we may have for ourselves. You might call it a selfish desire, and. Um, here he says that we struggle between, and the reason there are wars and the reason there are fightings is because we give into our personal desires. Somebody said it this way, man is a walking civil war. <laughs> we are a walking civil war, and inside of us there's a struggle between the new person we are in Christ and the old sinful flesh that we must resist and we must go against. If you say, no, I don't think I have an old flesh, just think about it for a minute, and you'll come up with the same conclusion that James gives us here, or that Galatians gives us. See, whenever an individual is inwardly focused, whenever we make it all about ourselves and we're bent on pursuing and fulfilling our own desires, the end result will always be decay and destruction. Even worldly philosophers understood this. Listen to this quote by Plato. Not the, the kids are here today, this morning, so explain Plato to them later on. <laughs> It'll take you a second to figure that one out. He said this, 
he said the sole cause, the only cause uh, for wars and revolutions and battles is nothing other than the body and its desires. Interesting. A man by the name of Lucian said this, a philosopher of, of, of old. He said, all the evils which come upon man, revolutions and wars, stratagems and slaughters, spring from desire. All these things have as their fountainhead the desire for more. He's talking about uh, man's desire, the things that we want. And that's what James is describing for us. He's describing mankind as its basis level. And what he's trying to say is that when it is unchecked, when it is not monitored, when it is not adjusted, and it will find its way then into the church. Notice what he talked about here. Even of your lusts that warn your members, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Here's the thing, church, we must be very careful and very aware of how easily our old sinful nature can rear its head in our lives. We must be so aware of that. How quickly our sinful nature just pops up. How quickly we become selfish, uh, selfishly minded. James goes so far as to say that that mindset can have such a control in the life of a Christian that it could even cause you to wish for or even scheme to, he used the word kill, eliminate people that might be in your way. Now, we're not going to do a show of hands today. How many of you ever wished somebody dead before? But from your giggles, <laughs> wow, right? Think about that. Think about that for a minute. Now, I know you might be thinking, James is just overreacting, right? <laughs> this is a very strong words. He's just overreacting. Maybe somebody made fun of his message, and now he's just blasting them, you know? You know, he's just getting, no, 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 he's not. He is accurately describing how our desires become evil so quickly. You ever find yourself in a place, and you're like, I can't believe I just thought that, right? I went from sitting here with my family, enjoying time, to just this deplorable thought process, Right? How, did this, how does this happen? It's because our old nature, if it's not checked, can just so quickly rear its head. And that's what he's describing for us was happening here in the early church. He used the word uh, kill, of course, and that seems very strong. I don't know that anyone was actually killed to get their way uh, in the church family. But I do know that Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, you're a murderer, right? I know if you look upon someone to lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so there's a lot of things at play here. And the point is, is that if we, are, if we as a church family become so concerned about our own will and our own desires individually. If we get to that place where we would literally bully someone else, run over somebody else, have anger towards another believer who stood in our way of us getting to that desire, of getting to that place that we want to be in, don't be surprised if wars and fightings and conflicts and issues come up. And James is warning us in a very strong way, and you might say he's a little bit over the top. But honestly, sometimes that's the best way to get a point across. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you had parents who warned you in extreme ways to get a small point across? Anyone? Okay, let's think about it for a moment here. Maybe some of you. Hopefully they were not abusive to you. But uh, they would say, you ever have your parents say things like this? Like, hey, if you keep crossing your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way. <laughs> okay, is that, I don't know if that's true or not, but what's the point? Stop walking around like this, you know, when you're, when you're six years old. Uh, you ever have someone tell you if you keep eating those apple cores all the way down, a tree is going to grow in your stomach? And as a four-year-old, you're like, all right, I'm not eating any more apple cores, <laughs> even though it tastes disgusting. I'm going to not do that anymore. I don't know what it is with kids in those. If you drink coffee, you're going to stunt your growth. 
You know, I don't know. Where's the science behind that? Okay, what's the point? Okay, as a kid, you don't need to be drinking their coffee. That's mainly what it is, right? This is my coffee. Stay away from it. (laughs) My mom used to say, if you keep making that face, it's going to get stuck that way. Because I'd always go around, like, doing funny stuff, and I thought I was funny anyway, and so she kept that in check. Here's what James is doing the same way. He's saying, check your heart, okay? Check your heart. And he uses a very extreme example. Check your heart. Because if it's all about you, there's going to be conflict in your life. There's going to be conflict within the church. And he continues on by analyzing us a little bit more. I want you to notice in verse number two what he says. I want to point out a couple of thoughts in this verse. Notice this. He says, even of your lust, that war in your members. And then look what he says in verse two. Ye lust, say those next three with me, and have not. Okay. He says, ye kill and desire to have, read those three with me, and cannot obtain. Then he says, ye fight and war, yet say it ye have not. Okay, so this is interesting here. So he's talking about, and, and, and you can almost boil it down into three ways that we approach life or three ways that we pursue our desires. But in each of those, at the end, he says, but you've got nothing for it. You have nothing for it. This is what he's saying to us. He's saying, no matter how you pursue your own desires, in the end, you will not find fulfillment. You will not find fulfillment. Why? Because you aren't asking God to fulfill your desires. There's the end. Yet you have not because he asked not, right? And the point that he's trying to get across to us that to me is so just, it just narrows the focus for us so much today. And if you don't get anything else today, get this. Pursuing your own desires will never bring fulfillment. Only asking God to fulfill the desires in you and you are his creation is going to give you true fulfillment. All of those ways that you you try to kill others and get them out of your way, you try to uh, fight others and get them out of your way, you're going to have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. Only pursuing after God. We must desire God. If you don't have what you desire, it is because you are not desiring God. He is the only one who can satisfy. God is the only one who can give true peace in your life. He is the only one. And when we we pursue peace or contentment or fulfillment or whatever it is that we're pursuing, the lusts that come up in our life, the end result is wars and fightings and trouble. That's why James asked the question, where is all this coming from? Where is all this coming from? So I want to ask you this morning, where is this all coming from in your life? Where is all that frustration coming from in your life? Where's all that anger coming from in your life? Where is all of that bitterness that, that cripples you from moving forward? That, that, that hurt that, res- that keeps you from moving forward in relationships and, and being honest and trusting people? Where does that come from? Where does that pursuit of, of earthly pleasures, where does that all come from? Where is that discontentment coming from? It's not coming from God is it? It's not coming from God. It's coming from the pursuit of your own earthly uh, desires. You're pursuing your desires. Well, James kind of lays it out there for us, doesn't he? But he's not done bringing the heat. You ready? (laughs) That's why I love verse by verse. I'm not saying this. It's James. You can blame him. He's been dead a long time. But he gets to the heart of it, doesn't he? Gets to the heart of it. Verse number three. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Here's what he's doing. He's transitioning right now. He is transitioning from how our pursuit of fleshly desires and of our own wants 
brings conflict within the church, but now he's showing us how it brings division between us and God. Notice how he talks about, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. What he's saying is that our personal desires affect our prayer life. Because as soon as it is all about us, it finds a way to sneak into our prayers where our prayers come out in such a way that all we're trying to do is manipulate God and fulfill our own desires. Have you ever tried to manipulate God with your prayers before? I have. <laughs> like, Lord, if you'll do this. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, then that block will fall into place and then this will happen for me, right? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm trying to manipulate God. I'm trying to work things out in my own, own way. But then he says here, he says, you ask and receive not. And sometimes we, we ask the question, why aren't our prayers uh, answered? Sometimes things aren't happening for us. And I believe it's because, first of all, you're not asking, like he said in verse 2, you're not asking. You're, you're trying to do it yourself. But then when you are asking, you're ask, not asking for it in the right way. You're asking for things that feed your own desires. Now, God made us a promise in 1 John 5, 14. He said, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If he says we have confidence in him, just underline this in your, ver in your Bible. That if we ask anything, say those next with me, according to his will, his will, according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. If we pray in the will of God, this is a great promise. If we pray in the will of God, he will hear us. But if we're only asking to fulfill our own personal desires, then we will not be heard. You say, well, what does it mean to pray in the will of God? If you're not sure what that means, all you got to do is pray the word of God to the Lord. You know what God's will is for your life right here, don't you? You know this is his revealed will to us. Now, God has a specific will for all of us, and I believe that with all my heart. God has showed me what his specific will is for me for right now, and sometimes he lays a, another chapter in your life. But if you don't know what God's specific will is for your life, like for me, I can say I know that God has called me to this neighborhood to plant City Baptist Church and to be your pastor. That's how this whole thing got started because God asked me to do it. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm praying in that will. So anything that fits within God's will for my life, I'm praying for that. Uh, it's, will, it's, it's his will that I be a father. It's his will uh, that I be a mentor. It's his will that I, uh, um, that I lead this church. And so I pray within God's will for my life. And guess what? Stuff happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. And for you, you may not know God's specific will for your life, but you do know that God's called you to be a disciple. <laughs> you know that God's called you to be a follower, to be a soul winner. You know that God's called you to, uh, to tell others about him. You know that God's called you to be responsible as a leader and a provider for your family. You know that God has called you to all these things that are shown to us in the word of God. And so pray according to his will. It says that he will hear us. You say, well, is it wrong for us to pray for, you know, some sort of investment to go well? You know, my investment in Beyond Meat, I mean, it's taken off, right? <laughs> I don't have an investment in Beyond Meat, but I wish I did, <laughs> right? Is it wrong for me to pray that, you know, my stock line will bump up a little bit? I don't have stocks either, so I just, I try to pretend like, I assume that's what all you do. <laughs> um, is it wrong for me to pray for, you know, something for our family uh, to provide? Or No, of course not, because that's within the will of God. But if all I'm, all I'm doing is pursuing the things of this earth, and I'm not pursuing the things of God, you're not going to be praying in his will then. You're going to be praying in your own will. And they don't get any higher than the ceiling. So you got to be aware of that. Pray in the will of God. But then he, he gets even more in our face, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, woe. Woe. I don't, I don't want to ever be accused of being an adulterer. I just want to put that out there right now. 
That's, I mean, that is the worst. That is devastating to my marriage, to my life. That's a horrible thing. And yet James here says, ye, you, <laughs> you Christians, you're adulterers and adulteresses. And he says this, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now we know that verse, don't we? We skip over the adulterers and adulteresses part though, sometimes. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You know, typically pastors are concerned about offending people in their church. James does not give a rip. <laughs> he doesn't care. He just comes right out and he says, you guys are adulterers and adulteresses. He goes for the jugular. He describes the believers of the early church as adulterous in their relationship to Jesus Christ. Now to us, that maybe doesn't sit well. It seems a bit strong, but he's correct in his statement, and here's why. The Old Testament, remember, would have been his reference. This is the first book of the New Testament that was written. In his reference in the Old Testament, idolatry was often connected to adultery. Not only because a lot of people who worshipped idols, part of their idol worship was being pr uh, promiscuous in their, in their relationships, but also because what were they doing? The Israelites were putting something else in the place of God. In other words, they were worshiping, they were giving to something else the love and the devotion that belonged to God and to God alone. And that's what he's trying to say to us here. He's saying, hey, Christian, if you are giving love and giving devotion and giving focus to anything other than God and God alone, then you are adulterous in this. Now, who's the rival lover in this? <laughs> Well, he gives it to us. He says it is the world. These people were more in love with the world than they are with God. Now, now church, the, the very fact that God would express himself in such a strong way elevates the importance of this passage. Sometimes God has to use very strong language, and the purpose is, is to get our attention. And that's what he's doing here. And so we should take very seriously, and honestly, reading this passage should bring an unsettledness to your heart. There should be a, 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 almost a nervous energy reading this passage because of how strong these words are. Because the end result of a love for the world is that you become at odds. You become the enemy of God. The word enmity there means an inactive opposition. It means you're actively opposing the things of God when you love the world. Now, when James talks about the world, what is he talking about? He's talking about anything that represents our enemy, the devil, and the humanistic system that is at odds with God. In uh, John chapter number 15 is a great way to illustrate it as God gives us sort of a, a, a connection here. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, that's a great verse to have when you feel hated by the world. You know, when you're at work and you try to stand up for the Lord and people dismiss you or call you a fanatic or, or whatever way they may approach you, just be like, well, they hated him first. I'm just falling in line behind Jesus Christ. They hated him first. Then he says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. Isn't that great? So there's an aspect of the Christian life where there's not a lot of love coming from the world. Then he says this, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, we are no longer a citizen of this world. We're a citizen of heaven. Our future is certain. God is our Father. And we are no longer to be in bondage to the philosophies and the passions of this world. 
And so a distinctive that he gives to us here is that if we are truly living for God, if we are truly his friends, then there's going to be some hate that's going to come your way. And more and more and more as we go along in the Christian life. The more that you live for Christ, there's going to be some hate that's going to come your way. We see it all the time. We see it in the news. We see it all over. Christians are not exactly elevated to a position of, uh, of you know, man, they're, they're the greatest, right? I don't think so. Not in our society today. Everything that is of God, everything that stands for the principles of God is becoming to be more and more under attack. This week, uh, as I was out at Subway getting a sandwich, that's what you do there, right? As I left on the garbage can, there was the Star Metro Vancouver, which I'm not going to make any connections between garbage and the Star Metro Vancouver, but um, it's a little paper here in our city. And it, it caught my eye because right on the very front of the newspaper is, is the headline. It says, fact-checking unplanned. And it says, Star Metro Vancouver asks, uh, asks experts to give controversial anti-abortion movie, A Critical Eye. Now, if you're not familiar with what this is, the movie is called Unplanned. It's a movie uh, that deals with the story of someone who worked for Planned Parenthood in the United States um, in, in abortions and in that whole situation. She got saved and walked away from it. And uh, it tells her story, and, and it's, it's very specific. People were lobbying to keep this movie from coming to Canada. It's only in a few select theaters, very small showings, and people were saying they need to ban this. This is a terrible thing. And so front page news this weekend, let's fact check it. Let's fact check it. Now listen, church, we are unashamedly pro-life here at City Baptist Church, okay? We believe that God creates life, and life begins at conception, at conception. We understand there's difficulties, but never in Scripture do we see a position where we must punish the children for the sins of the parents, okay? Father or mother. And so we believe that, that a child should be carried and raised and born and, and all of that. And that may seem controversial to some of you today. Maybe you've never heard anyone say that before, but that's what we believe. And so this movie, I believe, shows the dark side of abortion. It really does. Now, I've had, on more than one occasion, opportunities to counsel people who have been through the process of abortion. And I'll tell you, church, it's never a good thing. There's great scarring. There's great difficulty that comes from that. But the fact-checking this story, okay? I, I always find it ironic. They always call it anti-abortion, not pro-life. Isn't that interesting? They always say pro-life. We're pro, pro-choice, but we're not pro-life. We're anti-abortion. So I just want to read you a couple things that I highlighted here in this article. And if you're uncomfortable, all right, here we go. <laughs> Several pro-choice organizations have spoken out against the potential dangers of the film. The Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada called Unplanned a dangerous piece of anti-abortion propaganda containing vicious falsehoods. National Abortion Federation Canada Director Jill Doktorov said, she's concerned that it looks like a regular movie, but really it is more propaganda. Now, this is what they say in the article. While there may be a few abortion-supporting doctors who state that the film is inaccurate, Notice that. There are a few that state it's inaccurate. There are many other physicians who have publicly responded stating that this is exactly what abortion looks like and that the film is entirely medically accurate. Interesting. Lots of doctors come forward and said that. But they're going to take the couple who say it's not inaccurate and let's write a whole article about it. So now let's get to the fact check. I want you to notice this is all just blasting it. Now let's get to the fact check. Their issues with the movie. Uh, in, okay, th their first issue is that they're saying that in the first scene, and I won't go into it, but basically they're stating that there's a, um, 
there's a discrepancy between the size of the of of the the baby and what it would actually be at at whatever weeks. Now there's people saying that that is accurate. Some people saying it's not accurate. So that's their first fact check. This one scene, the size of the baby in the ultrasound is inaccurate. Okay, fact check. Uh, and then uh, another fact check is this. Here's the, here's their second. They only have two fact checks. Things that they want to go after. Number two. Um, the character in the film says that she regrets her abortion. Anger disappeared only to be faced with self-loathing. And she talks about and has various depictions of women who had abortions suggest that this is how people can expect to feel after having an abortion. All right, here's, the, here's, here's what the filmmakers say. It is one of many feelings associated with having an abortion. So that people feel, uh, have anger, there's self-loathing, there's the depression. And then here's fact check, one sentence. Women who have abortions have varying emotional responses. And then their last line is, Jen Gulter calls one scene as 100% BS. And you guys know what that means. Okay, so what's, what, what am I trying to get across here? Here's what I'm trying to get across. If we're going to be of God and be about the things of God, the world's going to hate and do everything they can to just trash it. Okay? Now, this is just one example of what's happening here. There's many other examples uh, in our world and, and how, people, uh, how people are. But the point is, is that as Christians often, rather than feeling any negativity, we simply just step over into the world's philosophies and the world's processes in order to not feel that tension in our lives. What James is saying here, if your life is filled with the things of this earth and pursuing the things of this world, what you are doing is that you are choosing to be a friend of the world, which means you're choosing to be an enemy of God. Notice how it says in the verse, whosoever therefore will, you're making a choice. You're choosing to be friends with the world. And so many Christians today choose to live for earthly pleasure rather than God's favor. Many Christians build their life and focus around building treasures on this earth at the expense of trusting God and obeying God. Many pursue worldly respectability instead of following God's will. We hold tightly to the things that we gather in this uh, earth rather than generously and willingly allowing God to use them. Uh, We care more about our worldly relationships and so then we never share our faith. See, the love of this world will only undermine the generosity and the caring and and sharing spirit that God wants Christians to have. See, you can be a Christian and love the world, but you will be a carnal Christian. And most importantly, the sad thing about being a Christian that loves the world is that you will never realize the potential of God's work in your life. And you must be aware of the world's influence in us. Listen, church, we, we live and we have to live in this world but there's a tension that survives around us. A tension that there is a separation. There is a difference between a sanctified Christian and the world that we are in. And we need to be careful about the friendships that we make. We need to be careful about the entertainment that we evolve ourselves in. We need to be careful about the sources of our information. We need to be careful about even the news and cultural things that we allow into our lives. We need to be aware of them. We must filter all of them through the lens of the word of God right here. We must filter them. Because remember, if the world hates us, do you think they're going to put out a whole bunch of stuff that's going to just fit right in with your Christian worldview? No. (laughs) No, they're not. They're not. Now, I I realize that some of you might be saying today, well, the world doesn't really affect me that much anymore because I'm a confident Christian. I'm a mature Christian, and honestly, the world, you know, the things, it just doesn't really affect me all that much. So I'm just going to stay where I'm at. 
To me, a statement like that proves that in some ways you've already given yourself over to the world. Just to make the statement that I'm good, the world doesn't affect me anymore, and so I'm okay to involve myself in certain things. Over the years, I've known people who have been involved in blatant, clear sin, (laughs) and they've said, it doesn't really affect me that much. I'm okay. I can still walk with God and and do this thing. And and all I can think about is this verse. (laughs) You are actually in opposition to God. If the word of God is clear on something and you feel that you can somehow uh, walk with that, uh, be in that, and then also walk with God, I think I mentioned this <laughs> a, while ago, a while ago, you know, about the proverb, you can't have one foot in each world, otherwise you'll split your pants, right? <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> you got you to gotta be either with God or you got to be in the world. And James here is warning us. It's very clear. He's saying, check your motives. And I believe James is asking us some very serious questions. I think some soul-penetrating questions. Are you today better friends with the world than you were a year ago? Are there more aspects of the world's philosophies and entertainment? And You say, well, you mean I don't ever watch anything? No, of course I'm not saying that. But when it becomes your pursuit, when the pursuit is just uh, riches and earthly gain, so a year ago, how, which, which way are you closer? Are you closer to God or are you closer to the world in the last year? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Where do we obtain our primary pleasure in life? Is it in the things of this earth or is it in the things of God? I've been guilty so many times of pursuing earthly things, thinking it's going to give me the pleasure or the happiness that I want, right? But yet, in the end, it was nothing because I was not pursuing God. And so James here gives us a warning, check your motives, check your love, and and I recognize and I I pray that there might be some of you this morning who recognize that your motives are not right, that you're more in love with the world than you are with God. James moves from this strong, just puts it all out there for us, and now he transitions then to the solution to this, to the way out, to the answer, because I don't want to be the enemy of God, right? (laughs) I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a friend of the world. I want to follow the Lord. I recognize in this passage all of the issues within my heart. So now James moves and he gives us the solution to becoming more of a friend of God. But you have to come back next week to hear that. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will.